more local content. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Now, two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is Saturday, April the 18th, 2020, 7.07 on your Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. I am Reese Boyd, local attorney here in Myrtle Beach with the firm of Davis and Boyd, Attorneys at Law. I'm your host for Saturday Morning Coffee. Welcome to the show at Saturday Morning Coffee. We invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee, and join us as we talk about the news, current events, what's happening in your world, all the things that we think you need to know. And boy, there is a lot going on these days, a lot that you need to know. So we try to help you out with that, do the heavy lifting, sift through all the uh, myriad of news sources and uh, all the various things that are out there and give you some input on what we think you ought to consider and um, think about uh, here at Saturday Morning Coffee. Uh, we're all about limited government, lower taxes, because that means more freedom, more freedom for you and me and all of us who are we the people. We've got a country to save, and it starts right here on the local level. We invite you to settle in with a cup of your favorite coffee, and uh, you might even ha- grab your newspaper if you have one. If you still get one of those, join us as we get your Saturday morning going. Joined here in the studio this morning by uh, one of the best uh, producers around, Mr. Glenn Dye. How are you doing, producer extraordinaire Glenn Dye? I am doing super. How are you doing this morning? Well, I have had an interesting morning. I woke uh, with some excruciating pain, Glenn, as we were briefly discussing before the show. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm struggling a little bit this morning, but I'm going to do my best to do the show. Thanks last week, by the way. We were on... Uh, we were on the best of Saturday morning coffee last yes, week. Thanks for uh, thanks for pinch hitting uh, for the for the host, and I, I heard the actually uh, the best of Saturday morning coffee wasn't that great, <laughs> but that wasn't uh, your fault. That wasn't your fault. I heard we had some computer glitches. Uh, you know the computer freezes up sometimes, and um, trying to play stuff from it, I guess it just gets overwhelmed. Gets overwhelmed. Well, it's a lot to uh, it's a lot to juggle, but I appreciate you doing that. And uh, sorry for the folks if we did have any technical difficulties. I think uh, Glenn did manage to get a show. Hey, I can on juggle. Yeah, I can but, juggle. Um, I'm a magician. I can balance stuff on my nose. I can do magic tricks, and I can. Juggle. You are you are multi talented, sir. Smooth, mellifluent, <laughs> and uh, very well versed right. in all that we call upon you to do. So we thank you. Uh, and Glenn, I've got a, a story to open the show as you and I briefly discussed earlier. I think I uh, I told you last week that I'd had a mountain bike injury. Yes. Now, this is this is an embarrassing. Your your host is uh, transparent and humble this morning, folks. Uh, we had uh, I had a mountain bike injury last week, so yesterday I decided that I was going to uh, get out and ride again. And uh, we were on the uh, Hulk Mountain Bike Trail, which you guys have heard me uh, talk about on this show uh, quite a few times over the months. And we were trying to get back into the I was trying to get back into the swing of things. So I was out there with my buddy Mike trying to get back on the trail. 
And I probably sh- I probably should not have been riding yesterday. It was a little too soon. Uh, wasn't really feeling it, and uh, should probably have uh, the better call would have been to wait longer. But anyway, we're out there. We run, we run into uh, none other than John Hennis, uh, Glenn, hmm. our good friend John Hennis, who's the station manager here at WTKN. And uh, so John uh, was out there, and I we bumped into him on the trail, and I and I suggested to John that he ride with us, or that we ride with him. And so there I am. Um, we're uh, my buddy Mike and I are out there on the trail, and I, I'm trying to keep up with uh, John on the trail. Have the triathlete. Seen, yeah. Have you seen John ride? Uh, no, but I, I know he's a I know he's very skilled triathlete. Um, yeah. Very athletic. Trying to keep up with John Hennis on the uh, on the Hulk, uh, Glenn, is like trying to keep up with a grease pig at the county fair. Mm. It was. Uh, it, I, I would occasionally catch glimpses <laughs> of uh, of of John. Uh, you know, as the trail would occasionally straighten out and uh, so i was trying i was doing my best to uh, keep up with john I, we round a corner and i'd be like he's gone i mean just like he disappeared i'm like which way did he go he wasn't on a pedigo was he no he wasn't <laughs> on a pedigo he was on a strictly i don't think it if he had a if he had an electric assist i'm gonna have to give him a hard time <laughs> no nah, he wouldn't do that but no nah, he was on a strictly uh traditional mountain bike and uh, i said which way did he go i look back at my buddy mike's like which way did who go i mean he was gone and so we were uh, so I was doing my best to catch up with John doing uh, my dead level best to uh, to get back into at least the segment of the trail that he was on and come around a corner steep part of the trail. You know, there were there have been a lot of people out at the Hulk. Lately. Sure. What yeah. else to do? I mean, yeah, you can clean your house and wax your car so many times. Yeah, And the beaches are closed. And I, I literally came upon a, a, a couple of young ladies at one point i don't know if they were building a sandcastle or what but they were in the middle of the trail and i look i just want a public safety service announcement for you guys out there that occasionally go to the hulk uh the hulk is a mountain bike trail and it was built to ride mountain bikes on and and people go fast on that trail and if you're there and it we happily share the mountain bikers happily happily maybe overstating it a bit but we do happily share the trail with uh walkers but the way it's designed, walkers are supposed to be going one way, and bikers are supposed to be going another. And so if you're out walking uh, the Hulk mountain bike trail, for those of you who know, I'm, I'm talking about the uh, Hulk uh, mountain bike run walk park, which is right off of 31, right at the Intercoastal Waterway, right where Robert Grissom uh, crosses the uh, waterway here in Myrtle Beach. If you're out there and you're walking and there are bikes constantly passing you, moving in the same direction, uh, you're going the wrong way. So... Uh, walkers are supposed to be going one way and bikers are supposed to be going another. Anyway, there's uh, that's a safety precaution, obviously. Uh, but you should be walking, you should be moving, and you should also be staying alert about people coming your direction. Anyway, so I was, there was this woman who was literally, I don't know what she was doing. I tried to go around her. I was on one of the steeper sections of the trail, the, the, probably the steepest section of the trail. I, I went wide into the turn. I came over the hill. I got sideways on the bike. Needless to say, I fell again. Oh, man. <laughs> so I shouldn't have been out there to begin with, and I fell again. I didn't really think it was a big deal. I just I, I told, I told my, my buddy Mike, I said, Mike, I'm just going back to the truck. I was so irritated with myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was really uh, one of those things like, why did I why, – am I really that – you know. So anyway, we, uh, I went back to the truck, and I, I came home. Of course, my wife was very happy to see me, and she was very pleased uh, with my decision to go mountain biking yesterday afternoon. Oh, I bet she was. But I, I didn't think it was – that big a deal. Then I woke up this morning like, oh, my gosh. Like I, When I woke up, I felt like somebody had just stabbed me with a steak knife in my shoulder. So I'm, 
Hmm. I'm uh, I'm feeling it this morning, Glenn. So, uh, but anyway, we had a great oh, right up until the moment that we crashed. We had a great ride. <laughs> so I never saw John again. So I'm have to give John further grief. Well, do you have seven thousand dollars invested in your bicycle? Uh, negative, Ghost Rider. I, I think John's is a really expensive. Oh yeah, bicycle. John's got a very so, nice bike. So maybe John's that got... helps. You know. Oh, I'm sure it helps. Being a triathlete and having a, an expensive bike, maybe. But literally helps. watching his backside recede in the distance, yeah. I mean, he was literally like like grease lightning out there. I thought, oh my goodness, I, I'm not going to catch this guy. Yeah. So I shouldn't even have tried. I shouldn't even have been out there, but I was. Well, and sometimes going down International Drive, I see the group of riders, and I sometimes think maybe. John's out there. Yeah. Maybe it's John. Oh, yeah. John John, John locks the miles. So I'm on restrictions. So you guys who ride the Hulk don't have to worry about uh, running into me or, or, or rolling over me as I wreck. So I'll be on restrictions for a while. <laughs> so we invite you guys to join the discussion here at Saturday Morning Coffee. You can call in uh, to the uh, call-in line at 843-903-2945. You can also text us your comments to the PCRX text line. That's 798-TALK, 843-798-8255. You can tweet me, at Reese Boyd is the Twitter handle. Please tweet us your comments. We'd love to have you follow the show on Twitter. You can email your comments to me at SMC at gmail.com. And uh, you can also call the offices of Davis and Boyd if you want to talk to me at a, at a more reasonable hour. A lot of you guys do that. I love to hear from you. It's a lot of fun talking to our listeners. Uh, the number at the offices there for Davis and Boyd are 843-839-9800. We've got a great show coming up for you guys today. We're going to be talking to Carter Smith, who is a candidate for the South Carolina State Senate, District 33. We're also going to be talking to my friend Oren Smith. Oren Smith is with the Palmetto Promise Institute. Oren's going to be talking to us about Santee Cooper. We decided we'd like to talk to somebody about something other than coronavirus for a few minutes uh, today. So... Hope you guys will stick around for the show. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot to cover, and we'll be back after these words from our sponsors. Stick around for more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour is now two full hours more reese coming up next on talk 94.5 saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour on talk 94.5 that's great it starts with an earthquake birds and snakes an airplane lenny bruce is not a brain Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It's uh, the end of the world as we know it, and I feel 
fine. Actually, I don't, as we were just discussing before the break. I, I, feel, I feel significantly less than fine this morning, but uh, we'll get through it. I'm, uh, I'm swinging for the fences, as one of our listeners, uh, Tommy, just chimed in on the text line. I'm trying my best. I uh, wanted to reach out or recognize some of uh, you guys texting in on the PCRX text line this morning. Will has reminded me that no extreme recreational activities are recommended during a coronavirus pandemic. Will, that's uh, that's good, saleable advice. We'll uh, pass that along. And uh, Augie, the golf course guy, checking in. Good morning, Augie. Glad to have you guys with us. Greg, the carpenter, uh, checking in. I uh, got uh, just uh, quite a few texts um, and uh, appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys uh, being there and being part of the discussion. Hope you guys will stick with us. If you got any comments about uh, what's going on in the world, we'll start with our uh, it is the end of the world as we know it. And uh, we feel fine at the moment. But uh, that's our coronavirus update uh, intro. So let's go to the numbers. Don't want to spend the whole show talking about coronavirus this morning, but we will uh, give you at least a quick update. These numbers from uh, World Meter. Uh, the World Meter site, uh, current case count as of this moment, 2,261,046 cases worldwide with 154,726 deaths. There are 578,965 cases that are now noted as recovered, according to the World Meter's site. In, uh, in the U.S. alone, looking at the U.S., we are now at 710,272 coronavirus cases with uh, 37,175 deaths and 63,510 uh, noted as uh, fully recovered. So we've got a, and, uh, and, a situation where the numbers, interestingly enough, it, it did appear that there was a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And I think you'll uh, see that hopefully that that light will continue to get a little bit, a uh, little bit brighter. But uh, there had been a bit of a plateau uh, just below 2000 cases for a few days lately, uh, or excuse me, daily death totals have been fluctuating a little bit. On April 15, they had 2600 on April the 16th, it was down to 2,100. So those, those, uh, and of course, on April 17, yesterday, it was 2,500, 2,535 the actual number. So those numbers had been trailing just um, below the 2,000 uh, daily number. Now we're above that. We're uh, between 20, you know, 2,100, 2,500 on a daily basis. But the general overall trend that we, uh, I think we are, seeing reported most widely is that the curve is flattening. You've heard so much over the last few weeks about flattening the curve, flattening the curve, the need to flatten the curve. And um, we are hopefully uh, seeing a, a flat, uh, you know, a flattening of the curve. Hopefully this will, um, this will be the beginning of the end of this for us. Hopefully we'll see. There's a lot of a lot of discussion out about various things that could complicate matters, but hopefully we are in the, um, I hesitate to use the word home stretch, but we are seeing the flattening uh, of the curve. So, like I said, it, it, there, of course, we're, we're still in the midst of social distancing. What's the official day of the uh, quarantine? Glenn, are we at 22? I think my office has now been officially remote working for many of us for now three weeks. So I think we, we consider this day 22 of the quarantine. Yeah, maybe at your business, but I think others were shut down earlier than that. I, I It feels like 
two months. Feels like forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, really does. And um, a little bit, uh, a little bit frustrating because there seems to be increasing pushback from uh, folks about whether the uh, continuing lockdown is appropriate, whether it's uh, really having a broad impact, whether it's working. Obviously, you guys are seeing that that uh, debate happen uh, on on uh, various media outlets. It is uh, one of the things that I, you know, I've heard various local officials, of course, uh, beaches closed in Myrtle Beach. Everything is uh, offline and uh, not not a whole lot as you were talking about to do, Glenn. And the funny thing is, because they've closed the beaches in Myrtle Beach, places like the Hulk, the the, the recreation opportunities that are out there right. are even more crowded. Yeah. So and, and hopefully the governor will get the beaches opened up soon. I I, I understand closing the beaches, um, but for local residents, um I, I I don't see an issue as long as they're still practicing safe, safe distancing. Sure. And, um, I mean, I, I do not understand why the beach can't be open and they just have a patrol. I mean, they have they have yeah. beach patrols yeah. already. Yeah. And the the beach guys, they patrol the beach. If there's a cluster of beach goers that are too tight, that yeah. are that are too dense. They just go over and they say, hey, guys, break it up. Move along. Nothing to see here. Yeah. I saw a gathering of about 15 people yesterday in a school parking lot at International Drive. They were they all brought their own fold-up chairs with them, and they um, just sat there and spaced out from each other in a big circle. It was a huge circle, and I'm sure they were all just catching up with each other. Yeah. You know, So as long as you practice the safe social distancing, and honestly, the beaches being opened up, I think, would be a lot of uh, relief for some of the people here. Uh, sure. It's nice to go down. Water yeah. does have a calming effect. It's and, why most of us live here. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it's a, listen, the mental health aspect of all this, and one of the things that I've tried to point out again and again online uh, when I've, you know, commented on these issues, this shutdown the the lockdown of society the governor's stay home or work order these have and particularly the states that have taken even more draconian measures bringing business to a halt glenn has very real mortality components in and of itself people yeah. you know people's lives people's lives are being destroyed every day yeah. folks i had a i had a client that was in the midst of buying a business, was buying a restaurant. We were literally in the midst of this transaction when the economy was shut down. Mm. Um, they're looking at losing their investment. Right. They're looking at losing a substantial portion of their life savings. It is. It is. These are very real problems. We represent other, you know, clients that are in situations where, for instance, if you run a, a hair salon, you're totally shut down. I, I had a, a a friend who applied for relief the sba loans the, the programs the ppp you know and she was offered a thousand dollars a thousand dollars is not going to to keep you afloat and so she's uh asking for help and one of the things that that uh, you know we're seeing are the folks who need the help they're, they're people who are getting through this relatively okay but the people who need help there are folks that are just being devastated uh by this folks and it is um it's very difficult and, and I don't mean by the – I'm talking about the economic impact of bringing everything to a screeching halt. And my concern is if we stay dormant, if we keep in lockdown mode much longer, I'm not sure how – there are going to be many components that don't necessarily come back online. Oh, yeah. Quickly or yeah. possibly even at all. Yeah. And so – and now the governor is giving direction about, well, sometime by late June – 
will be, you know, in a, in a reopen for business uh, condition. But late June is a long way away. Yeah. And, and I think um, so. And for instance, we've got a um, we've got a, a client that, that runs a, a, a hair salon and the dog grooming business next door is open is yeah. open yeah and there are people in and out of there they're close they're not necessarily ex- exclusively observing social distancing yeah. how is it that we get to decide you know which of these businesses i understand there is some sort of basis there yeah. but we have people who are literally losing their livelihoods losing their businesses you know, their lives are being destroyed yeah. so speaking of tough times i wanted to remind you guys there is a um there's a food, a drive-through food bank at Church of the Resurrection, in uh, on the south end of the beach on Highway 17 bypass. That's uh, Church of the of the uh, Resurrection, and uh, they are passing out food. You don't even have to get out of your car. I think the lineup started at about 7 a.m. And when I came by the um, the uh, church on my way north to the studio, folks were already lining up. But they are giving out food. If you need food, that's a place you can go. That's Church of the Resurrection. It's on Highway 17 Bypass, just south of the Glens Bay Interchange in uh, in the Surfside Beach area. So uh, be on the lookout for that if you need help. Uh, feel free to call us if you need more assistance getting there. And uh, that I think they're going to start the food giveaway at about 10 o'clock or shortly thereafter is my understanding. Mm. But I uh, hope you guys will stick with us. A lot going on. We're going to be joined after the break by my friend Oren Smith with Palmetto Promise Institute. So stick with us. After these words from our sponsors, we'll be right back. Text us, 843-798-TALK. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. Got a girl from the south side. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us this morning on your Saturday morning. It is 7.34 on your Saturday morning. One more thing I wanted to point out before we switch gears. Uh, there is a recent study on the uh, coronavirus update that says, this is from the Daily Caller, uh, yesterday, April 17, first released antibody study shows coronavirus infection rate could be 50 to 80 times more widespread than previously believed. Stanford University research teams released data Friday from the nation's first widespread community test for COVID-19 antibodies. And the results show the virus's spread could be far wider than previously believed. The study, conducted by two research teams, tested 3,300 Santa Clara, California, Santa Clara County, California volunteers. 
found that 2.5 to 4.2 percent of those tested were positive for coronavirus antibodies, numbers suggesting a far higher past infection rate than the official count. So the interesting thing there, folks, those people have had COVID-19. They have developed the antibodies and the antibodies are present in their system. That's the only way they register a positive on this test. And they're saying if the if the numbers hold true, there's a couple of caveats to the study. What might have created some higher results in the Santa Clara County area? I won't get into all that, but the general consensus is that COVID-19 is much more widespread than we have initially been led to believe. On one hand, that's bad news because more of us are going to get it. But on the other hand, it's good news because if the pool of people who have COVID-19 is vastly larger than what we have thought it was, then the mortality rate of the resulting or the, or the fi- in the final analysis, the, the mortality rate is much lower and mm-hmm. something much more close, much closer Right to just regular old seasonal flu. But you've seen they've been counting people like a skydiving accident is dying from oh, COVID nineteen. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. had the COVID. Yeah. Oh, he and, had the COVID. Well, and and see that's what that that is so frustrating, Glenn, because a there's a bias. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Th- one of the things we learn, y'all, government action uh, crowds out intelligent decision making in the marketplace. Always remember that there is no better decision maker in terms of coming up with the right answer than the free market for ideas at work. Mm-hmm. And now, with the legislation that we have, which we had to do, there's a, there is a, a premium that hospitals receive if a death in the hospital is a result of COVID-19. They get more money. If I go to the hospital, if I, you know, if I have a mountain bike accident, <laughs> go to the hospital and pass away, they get help financially, obviously, from the government. If I go pass away from COVID-19, they get more money. So yeah. what do you think is going to happen? A lot of people are dying from COVID-19. Yeah, and, and it also, and frankly, you know, I was thinking about it. We were taught, we had this discussion on the Liz Calloway show this week. People want to cooperate. I think we are naturally geared. I think conservatives want to respect the rule of law. I do too. We want to be law-abiding citizens. And it, it, yep. it, is, it has made me so, I mean, frankly, I've, 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 I've had a twinge of uncomfort this morning uh, not this morning, this for the last couple of weeks, you know, when I have gone to the office and you go to the office and you ride by these signs that say, go home, stay home. And it just, you know, we have an innate desire to respect the rule of law. And, and we should, by the way, we want to be law abiding citizens, but we also want to know that the people who are making these decisions have some rational basis for what they're doing right. and that they're not just about expanding their own power at our expense, particularly when they're trampling the constitution in the process, yeah. you know? And so, and the interesting thing, think about this folks, when we first started hearing about coronavirus, the initial outlandish projections were that as many as 2 million Americans uh, may pass away as a result of this. Then the number, then the number started getting smaller Then it was up to 2 million. Then it was, you know, then there were projections of a million, then it was half a million, then it was somewhere between 100,000 and 240,000, then it was 100,000, now it's yeah. 60,000 is the, is the prevailing uh, estimate. And, and the question soon becomes, do, do these models even work? You know, what are we doing? So, but let's, tra- let's uh, transition, I want, to, I want to change gears. We've got, uh, joining us for uh, the remainder of the segment, we've got uh, okay. Oren Smith. Oren Smith is with the Palmetto Promise Institute, 
And um, do I click hold here, Glenn? Uh, actually, here, I'll put them on. I yeah. was uh, talking to Mike. Uh, Mike just came by that church you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, they now have the police out there directing traffic. It is overwhelming. Uh, but it looks like they might start uh, passing out some food earlier. Oh, good. So, um, Mike just wanted to let us know one of the deplorables here from the PCRXcomputers.com yeah. text line. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that tip. But we're joined here on the show this morning to talk about something other than coronavirus, something that's been interesting to uh, you guys in the past. We've had a guest on the show before to talk about this issue. We've spent some time talking about it, which is the ongoing saga. It seemed uh, really important until a couple of months ago of uh, Santee Cooper and what to do with Santee Cooper. Uh, Santee Cooper, of course, is the state-owned utility that was uh, involved in the in the fiasco of the of the uh, Jenkins the uh, the VC Sumner nuclear plant, which has become an eight billion dollar hole in the ground. But uh, our friend Oren Smith, a friend of the show, my personal friend, known Oren for many years, is with the Palmetto Promise Institute. Palmetto Promise Institute uh, is in Columbia, and they are uh, always on the front lines, arguing with your legislature, trying to get them to make sensible policy decisions. And they do great work. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll let Oren tell us more about that. Oren, can you hear me? Yes, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Great to hear your voice and hear you getting folks all along the Grand Strand fired up this morning. We are we are enjoying uh, a little coffee this morning, and we are trying to inform and keep folks uh, in the know. Uh, Oren, tell us a little bit about, uh, if you would, and thank you for joining the show. I know it's uh, it's early, and we appreciate you getting up and, and, and being with us. Tell the folks what uh, Palmetto Promise Institute is. Well, you know, uh, in Washington, uh, D.C., you have a lot of conservative organizations uh, that exist uh, in the Beltway there to provide uh, support and ideas uh, for members of the uh uh, federal Congress uh, to introduce his legislation and uh, policy innovations, uh, most of which are to expand uh, freedom and uh, opportunity and reduce uh, government uh, control of our our lives, as you've been talking about this morning. Uh, that's just, just the nature of a capital of a, of a country. It, it attracts uh, all types of groups that have uh, left, right, and center views, but definitely plenty of conservative uh, groups that, that I'm sure your listeners have, have heard of and, and hear about uh, on this uh, station. But in, in Columbia, South Carolina, the state capital of South Carolina, there aren't really that many organizations that are left or right that are uh, generating ideas and looking at policies that uh, are working in other places and that could be adapted for use in South Carolina to free up uh, the economy, to uh, promote freedom, to make uh, lives uh, better in the in the state. And that is that is a problem, and it's a worse problem uh, in a sense because most legislators, unlike in Washington, most legislators don't have uh, very much staff. You know, your average House member. Uh, shares one part-time administrative assistant with three other House members. Your average senator uh, uh, shares a staff member with one other senator. So there's there's not you don't have legislative aides. You don't have folks that um, a legislator can say research Santee Cooper and give me some ideas on on what its future ought to be. Um, so we're in a unique position. Uh, we consider ourselves the premier conservative um, center-right 
organization generating ideas uh, to make uh, South Carolina a better place to live. And that's why we took an interest in Santee Cooper really early on. And as you know, Reese, you and I have been around South Carolina policy for a, a long time. And uh, about the time I think we probably first met was when I did my first uh, writing on Santee Cooper, which was in the mid-90s. Yeah, uh, I was a part of a, a book written by the South Carolina Policy Council at the time that said that Santee Cooper needed to be uh, to be sold, that there was no reason the state of South Carolina should be in the power business. And um, so I consider myself someone who's been talking about this for a long time, not just when it became an issue that was interesting to talk about. So, sure. you know, Santee Cooper was founded uh, as a really a New Deal program, Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt wanted to be president. He was campaigning uh, early on around the country. He came to the South, and he started talking to legislative leaders and political leaders in South Carolina before he was even president and talked about what what are some things I can do as far as um, programs uh, out of Washington. You know, the rest is history there. But what can I do once I get elected to uh, create jobs and also to – do things for the, the people that would involve government expenditure. And the idea was, well, let's dust off this plan that we've had for a while to, to dam up these um, these rivers and create hydroelectric power so that people that can't afford to have power and uh, areas where it's just not cost-effective to have uh, uh, electricity um, because of the long distances between uh, residential areas and between farms. Sure. Um, let's let's do a government program to do it. Let's do a government. Uh, let's do a government program. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Or now, right? I'm, I'm going right, to get your lights on for yeah, you. Yeah, we've we've all heard that famous quote. <clears throat> you know, I've I've heard it attributed to uh, Lord Acton. I've heard it attributed to Thomas Jefferson. But it, you know, of course, it goes. Uh, the government uh, that governs best is the government which generates the most hydroelectric power. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, famous, I, I think so. Famous classical yeah. quote on uh, conservative government. That might government. have been Jimmy Burns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Orrin, we've got to take a break to hear uh, from some of our sponsors. Can you stick with us through the break, and let's continue this discussion? Sure, be glad to. All right, folks, don't, uh, don't leave town. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Orrin Smith and Saturday Morning Coffee. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. Brother, let me be your shelter. We are speaking with Oren Smith this morning. Oren is uh, with the Palmetto Promise Institute in Columbia. We are talking about the issue of Santee Cooper and how it is that your state government came to be in the business of power uh, generation. And uh, quick uh, thought that I had, Oren, as I was listening to your answer just before the break, you know, Santee Cooper arose. We were talking about how it was a response to new De- or part of New Deal programs that were a response to the Depression. I see a lot of the same danger, frankly, in the current context of the coronavirus pandemic that we roll out a lot of. I mean, we just spent six trillion dollars in one week. So, you know, my very uh, heartfelt concern is that we roll out a lot of government intervention and a lot of government programs that stick around long after the coronavirus uh, has gone. Do you do you share any concerns there? Well, I think you know, as you were saying that, I'm 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 tracking with you that that definitely uh, is a is a good comparison, um, particularly when in, in this type of a program it became a government entity, so it, it was never really rolled over. St. T. Cooper's really never rolled over into a private entity or sold to a private entity. So you have it, you know, going through the 1930s, uh, hydropower is really not enough anymore. So coal plants have to be built. And then we come up to the modern age and uh, St. Cooper partners with SCENG to uh, build a nuclear reactor in Fairfield County uh, called VC Summer. And uh, VC Summer was one reactor that was uh, existing. Uh, Then the federal government, again, everything seems to go back to government, doesn't it? The federal government issues all of these sweeteners to try to encourage uh, utilities to build more nuclear, which in in normal times, that's probably a good idea. It's clean, and uh, once you get through the capital costs, there's really no fuel costs to speak of. But the federal government's trying to get folks to build nuclear, so... uh, VC Summer 2 and 3 get on the drawing board, and St. T. Cooper uh, is, uh, has a very high percentage of the ownership, really more than a lot of folks thought they should have. Uh, but that was the way they made it work with St. T. Cooper to build, with a Scanna to build two more reactors. So there were reactors, three, reac- three reactors under construction. So they were the one existing reactor, which has been online for a for a nearly a generation, and okay, then yeah. the two new reactors would right. be would be going online. So, of course, as they say, and as we've already said, the rest is history. The reactors, uh, the building project, uh, which is overseen by uh, Westinghouse, uh, which is a part of Toshiba now, um, that whole building of the reactor falls behind schedule. Uh, numerous problems with this new technology that they were using for a different type of reactor that really did not exist. The only other one is at Vogel, which is over in Georgia. It has also had that vast cost overruns. But the southern company that, that runs is building that reactor has committed to it and stuck with it. But Santee Cooper and Scanna said, we just can't do this. We've got to pull the plug. But uh, the way nuclear uh, electricity and the way electricity uh, billing works is if you have an asset uh, then you get to charge for that asset to your customers. So Santee Cooper customers and uh, SCE&G customers and the customers are all the co-ops because all the co-ops 
the rural, formerly rural electric co-ops, they do uh, business with Santee Cooper and receive their power from Santee Cooper. So all of those customers as well uh, are paying for that, those uh, two, as we say, holes in the ground. They're, they're not being built, but they are being billed for them. So we felt that that was improper, uh, lots of problems with it, and we thought that we needed to step in and make some recommendations on how the legislature could solve this problem. Yeah. And do we have an estimate? Do you have a sense of what does all this cost? What's the ultimate cost of all this uh, fine, fine <laughs> management expertise and construction expertise that we've uh, we've seen here? What what do we have a do we have a total tab for what this has cost the taxpayers? Well, I am I am envisioning uh, a uh, an old fashioned adding machine with the tape, you know, running out of the top of it and and the the paper now filling the room uh, with with the adding machine tape because of what it costs because there was uh, expertise required for the building of the two holes in the ground, there was uh, expertise required for getting, uh, figuring out how to get out of it, uh, how to refinance. There was uh, expertise required for should we sell Santee Cooper and how, uh, which was provided by the Department of Administration out of uh, Columbia. They hired their own experts. So uh, we do not have a grand total, but as as, uh, you said that, I I thought that's something that we need. We need to be able to provide a number, but it's uh, in the in the multi-millions at this point. So to, to bring it up to date, the legislature, remarkably, and, and we were concerned as we started researching this issue, the legislature has to be the one to make the decision about Santee Cooper um, because of the way the, the statute establishing Santee Cooper was written. The governor is not allowed to, uh, on his own, make decisions about Santee Cooper. It has to be the 170 members of the legislature, and we just saw that as a potential cat-herding operation where you had had to get a majority of 170 members to come up with a solution uh, for for Santee Cooper. So what they decided to do was to ask for three recommendations, three recommendations from the Department of Administration, which was charged with spending most of last summer researching it. And the three recommendations that they asked for were, one, we want a, we want a buyer. We want the name of a buyer, and we want the very best buyer, the one that wins a competition for the best proposal. Uh, the second is we want a, a manager. If we choose to go the management route, we want uh, the very best possible manager. And then finally, we want to hear from Santee Cooper as far as what they would do if they had a chance to do things different, a reform plan. So what the outcome of that was, the winner of the buying competition was NextEra, which is out of uh, Florida, which is the largest utility in America. It's a Fortune 200 company. Um, They made a, a sizable offer. The, the winner of the management competition was Dominion, which is the new owner of South Carolina Electric and Gas and Scana, and then Santee Cooper presented a reform plan. So those were the three options the legislature was presented when they got back in uh, in roughly in January or February. Yeah. Oren, we've got a hard break. I would love to hear a couple of wrap-up comments from you on what to do with these three recommendations. Can you? We've got a 
go to a break at the top of the hour with some local with some news. Can you stick around for uh, one more brief uh, brief chat? Sure after will. The break? Folks, we'll wrap it. Thank you, folks. We're listening. You're listening to Oren Smith and Saturday Morning Coffee. We've got a hard break uh, and a few words from our sponsors along with news. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the turn. Don't leave town. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk ninety four point five. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with my brand new adventure something. Grab some older me tightly, flowing like an awful. They lean tightly, will it ever stop, y'all? I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll go to the extreme. I rock a mic like a man. I up the stage and wax a chop like a candle dance. Caress a speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom deadly. When I play a dope melody, anything less than the best. So felony, love it to leave it. You better gain weight. Better hit fools out of kid. Don't play if it was a problem. I was solving. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves in. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. If there is a problem, yo, we will solve it. Invite you guys to join the discussion. We're talking to Oren Smith. Uh, this morning with Palmetto Promise Institute. You can call us on the call-in lines at 843-903-2945. You can also text your comments to 843-798-TALK. That's 843-798-8255. You can also tweet me. Follow the show. The Twitter handle is at Reese Boyd. And uh, Oren Smith still with us after the break. And we were talking just before the uh, hard break at the top of the hour, Oren, about the sort of the three options that have been laid out on the table, uh, so to speak, uh, for deliberation. And I think we were just getting to maybe perhaps what you guys think might be the best option. Do we have, can you recap those briefly and tell us where you think all this, how do we, yo, there's a problem. How do we solve it? What can we do with this? (laughs) Right, right. Well, the way we look at it is, uh, again, we we are all about freedom. We are all about private enterprise. So, what is the private enterprise solution? Uh, man, the, the three options, first of all, management, Dominion coming in and managing Santee Cooper, you're really just renting out executives uh, from, from Dominion, and um, we're not sure that management really does anything, and the legislature doesn't seem interested in that. So it's really down to two, is Santee Cooper reforming itself, uh, changing its energy mix to more, to more gas and uh, paying down debt quicker, and some other other changes they're recommending, and then the next era was uh, to buy it. And the way we look at it is um, there is a, a, a mound of debt uh, from the nu- nuclear reactors that were never built. The only way to get rid of that debt, in our view, is a sale, because a sale uh, the state would get uh, paid to sell the asset, but also the debt would be would go away. Yep. Uh, the, the, there would be a write down of the debt. So, our belief in free enterprise is just simply uh, the only way to get rid of the debt is not reform and it's not management; it's uh, sale. And, and the debt is about—correct me if I'm wrong—it's about eight billion, isn't it? Well, yes. And then when you add when you add interest uh, throughout the terms of the contract, uh, you're looking at you know twelve, thirteen billion with interest. I mean that's a lot. Uh, that is not chicken feed. Yeah, that, and that has to be paid by by electric cooperative customers and Saint Cooper Home 
based uh, direct serve customers. Yeah, and even if the co-ops pay it, I mean, ultimately that money, there's only one source of money really to pay this. There's rate payers. Some rate payer somewhere yes. has, has got to pay that $13 billion off, right? Yes, there are no investors, of course, in a state agency. Uh, that would be unique, uh, though Though I'm sure there are some kind of quasi-state agencies in some states, but but St. Cooper doesn't have stockholders. They don't have equity. They don't have shares. You can't buy shares. It's uh, it's ratepayers, yeah. period, or the state of South Carolina, the taxpayer, yeah. uh, through some unique uh, trend. If, if somehow the taxpayer got hit, we, we don't think necessarily that's going to happen uh, right away, but but that could happen as well. So yeah. sales seems like the best option. But And, of course, if there is a sale, those assets are still going to be discounted um, by the debt. I mean, the, 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 the state is going to take a haircut for that debt, correct? Well, what what the best option would for the state would be if the state were to were to have some cash uh, for the sale, but also that the entire uh, debt would be paid as it currently stands. Sure. So um, that that would be the best scenario. Then but, the state of South Carolina has money for things like paying back what they've spent on COVID. Sure. Uh, but also, um, the ratepayers would not be stuck with the uh, debt and the interest. But it, but it, but I guess my point is, if you own a hundred thousand dollars on your house and you sell it, you're going to get less money. That there's no free lunch. That money has to be paid somewhere by somebody. And and typically, if you sell your house, you you pay it closing. But somehow, some way, that debt has to be paid off. Correct. Right. Right. And I think where you were going with the haircut idea, that is if for some reason. Santee Cooper were forced into bankruptcy, uh, and and that was a concern with a certain uh, legal case against them by the co-ops. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they had been forced to declare bankruptcy and then had to uh, have the bondholders meet and then some kind of a haircut for the bondholders, yeah. so we may be past bankruptcy at this point. The yeah. idea is just what is going to help the ratepayer pay the least. Uh, and and actually just offload the issue from the state of South Carolina, sure. so the state of South Carolina doesn't isn't in the electricity business, which is very unusual for a state to have a a, a utility. Yeah. So what are the what are the odds, practically speaking? I know we were talking about how this is all managed by the legislature. I think this is yet again another issue where we see strong, compelling arguments for continuing the process that's been going on now for decades in South Carolina, moving us more to a more modern executive oriented state government. I mean, managing this issue in the legislature, both frankly, the management of utilities and the management of this particular fiasco, I think speaks for itself. I think we, 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 we're getting the, the fruit of our, of our system, but what are, what are the prospects in your mind for, for actually getting, if it seems like we're, it seems like we're picking the lesser of three evils, obviously. Right. Exactly. And, and well, you know, I was you, you've been playing some wonderful music this morning, and I think about for some reason an old Hank Williams song hits me, and you know the the house is against the Senate and the Senate's against the House, and I don't like cats in the House or something like that. <laughs> but uh, the problem we have is the Senate and the House are on diametrically different paths. Yeah. The, the House is just fed up with. Um, the current situation in Santee Cooper, and they uh, seem to be very much in favor of uh, some sort of a sale. I, I think they think that uh, a better deal should be in the offing, that Next Era should sweeten their deal with some additional uh, 
pieces that would make it better for the state. And I think they are all about trying to seek uh, a better deal from the from the buy. But but the Senate, on the other hand, they are reminding everyone that the uh, their idea was to set up these three options, and uh, the three options were the only options in the Senate's mind. So there's no there's no sweetening allowed, according to the Senate. You've got to pick one of those three. Yeah. And the Senate seems to be leaning more toward a reform plan for Santee Cooper. So the Speaker and the President of the Senate uh, and their respective bodies are kind of going in different directions, and uh, that is yet to be resolved. In fact, the last time the legislature met two weeks ago, they were unable to pass a continuing resolution for the funding of the and operation of the government, and the reason for that was Santee Cooper. Yeah. Uh, differences of opinion about Santee Cooper. So it just kind of keeps going on and on and on, and we'll have to see the outcome. But we, we certainly think private enterprise should have a chance to run and own Santee Cooper. Sure. Well, Orrin, I want to thank you for your time. That's been extremely informative, as I knew it would be. Um, you always uh, speak uh, very clearly, concisely to these issues that are very complex, very difficult to, to, to break down, but you've done an excellent job. Thank you for that. If uh, folks want to follow uh, Palmetto Promise, uh, if they're concerned about this issue and others that you guys are working on, how can they follow you and, and Palmetto Promise Institute as it's uh, going about its work? I would say just go right to palmettopromise.org. Uh, also, we uh, are very frequent uh, contributors to social uh, media, and uh, we are on all the platforms there, there are out there, which are very easy to find, either just directly through Twitter or Facebook or through, uh, through our website. And then we also have the St. T. Cooper Resource Center, which is a separate section of our website where we've put all of our research that we've been doing for, uh, for nearly three years. And uh, could you give that web address one more time, Or? Yes, that's palmettapromise.org, palmettapromise.org. Very good. Listen, Oren, thanks as always. I really enjoyed talking to you this morning. Folks, I encourage you to stay informed. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago, this was one of the issues that was going to be occupying the legislature, and we've been sidetracked, but this is still a major problem that must be solved. Uh, I encourage you guys to write your legislators, write the governor. And uh, don't rest until this issue is, uh, is, is worked on and, and put to bed. Oren Smith, Palmetto Promise Institute. Thanks again, Oren. Uh, we'll be following you and looking at, and come back and speak with us uh, anytime. Uh, folks, we're going to go to a break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back after these messages with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours on Talk 94.5. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. 
little Hugh Masakela still grazing. Still grazing on this Saturday morning at 8.20 a.m. You're listening to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I want to thank Oren Smith for that very informative interview. Oren's with the Palmetto Promise Institute. Great, uh, great to have you on the show, Oren. Thanks again. Uh, stick with us, uh, folks. Um, we've got a lot to talk about uh, coming up with uh, the remainder of your show today. Uh, we're going to switch to another interview that we lined up for y'all. Um, Carter Smith. Uh, many of you know Carter has been uh, living here in the area for years, and Carter is uh, Carter has announced uh, a campaign for Senate District uh, 33. While we're on the subject of the Senate, we, uh, some of the things that came up in the interview with Orrin Smith, I want to just touch on briefly. When I was in law school, folks, one of the I think the Santee Cooper problem points to one of the most fundamental issues in Columbia that needs to be addressed. And that is the form, the actual structural form of our government. When I was in law school in uh, Columbia, I had the opportunity to work as a law clerk. One of my first jobs was working for uh, then-Governor Carol Campbell, uh, who was, uh, God bless him, God rest his soul, just one of the, in my opinion, one of the best governors that South Carolina has had in, in the modern era. And one of the things that uh, Governor Campbell was a huge proponent for was the modernization. Uh, you will hear South Carolina referred to as the legislative state. And in fact, we are the legislative state. And you see many issues like Santee Cooper, power regulation, you, you, uh, regulation of the utilities that are largely governed by the legislature. And what that means is this issue and many others just like it are regulated, governed, addressed, dealt with by your state government, by your government through this myriad structure of all these Byzantine legislative committees and panels. And what it really amounts to, folks, is that the key decision making is done by two or three legislators behind the scenes. And they're not even people that you get an opportunity to vote for. It's really it's an anachronism. It is a government. I've said this many times in many different settings. I'll say it again this morning. We have a government. We have a state government in South Carolina that was designed for the 19th century. Folks, it's the 21st century. It's Buck Rogers time. We need to update and modernize our state government. We need we took baby steps. The first I remember the bill. It was about three feet thick, literally sitting on a desk. It was about three feet thick. The first uh, government restructuring that was done under Carol Campbell was just a baby step toward restructuring and modernizing your state government. We are still making progress. We've made further steps in the years, intervening years since uh, Carol Campbell was governor. But we need to continue that process. We need uh, on many levels. And our next guest and, and frankly, the, the mismatch, the the absolute train wreck that is uh, V.C. Summer and Santee Cooper is in large part, in, in my humble opinion, a function of the dysfunction of legislative management. Legislative management is a contradiction in terms, folks. It's like when you, hear, when you go to a meeting and people get frustrated and they walk out and they say, you can't do this by committee. Well, you can't. There's so many things that you can't do by committee. For most things, you need somebody that you've elected who's accountable to get a job done. That's why we have a governor, folks. That's why we have a governor. So hopefully uh, we'll continue to take steps in the direction of modernizing, but more areas, more decisions, 
more pieces of state government need to be under the governor and his cabinet. And we and that way you'll have somebody that you can vote for, that you can hold accountable. And we need to keep sending to Columbia people. We need to send people to the Senate who are willing to devolve power away from the Senate. And that's very hard to do. But that's what we need. If you want to move South Carolina forward, if you want to make things better, if you if you want your children to have a higher quality of life, that's where we need to go. Uh, we'll see what our guest has to say about that. Our guest is Carter Smith. That's my diatribe. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you do all the talking, Carter. Don't worry. Uh, Carter Smith is joining us. Carter is a candidate for Senate District 33. Speaking of uh, the Senate and its many problems. Carter has uh, declared himself a candidate for office, and we applaud anybody who has the fortitude and the courage to do that. Carter joins us today to tell us about his campaign. And, uh, so Carter, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, if you've been listening to the show, you know I'm not actually doing great this morning, but it's great to be with you. It's great to have you with us. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm swinging for the fences, as one of our callers noted. So I'm doing my best. So Yes, sir. I, I think you did a great job explaining um, our government. Well, I, I appreciate this morning. I appreciate that. And as I said, uh, you are a local, Carter. You've been, you've been around. My wife and I have known you and your wife for many years. I don't even know how many. Yes, uh, you're involved with the Coastline Women's Center. Y'all do great work. Uh, you have a great ministry here in town. Tell tell folks a little bit about who Carter Smith is. All right. So, you know, um, Carter Smith, well, um, me and my wife founded, actually, Coastline Women's Center, and we've, you know, and as the president now, we continue to serve our community and, and provide um, the needs for those um, young women that find themselves in a pregnancy crisis and and we um, we just we, we our main goal here is to um, um, save babies and to you know stand up against um, abortion and to be a voice for those children that don't have a voice. That's, um, that's one of the reasons that I'm in that I've actually decided to run in this for this Senate seat is because I think first and foremost, before we can do anything, we have to sure up the foundation of life, and we need to protect that as best we can. In fact, I would like to see today that we uh, don't have any abortions here in South Carolina or the United States or even the world, for that matter. But, but you know, everything takes uh, a process. And so right now what I want to see and what I can't understand why we don't have yet is a heartbeat bill um, that's passed and in place to protect more lives of of the South Carolina citizens, because, you know, my feeling is that from conception, we are um, um, citizens of this country. So um, and so we their, their rights need to be protected just as much as anybody else's. And I think um, our Senate needs to really uh, move forward in, in that and with a lot of other states around the country who have already made those those bold steps. So and that's what I want to focus on first and foremost. But, you know, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of things, and I think um, you nailed it on the head right before we came on. Is, is there needs to be some major reform in the way we legislate, and I look forward to um, doing that and learning more as I go along about how we need to do that. And I think um, you're going to be a great asset and wisdom in that. So um, that's that's where I stand. Yeah. Let Let me ask you to do this, if you would, because not everybody. Uh, you you follow this issue. You've been working on this issue for many years. And by the way, what, how long has Coastline Women's Center been around? Did, did y'all form that, that organization? Yes, sir. We founded Coastline in 2012. 
2013, we actually opened the doors for the first time as a resource center here, just helping young women. And yeah. then, um, and, and since then, we have converted. In 2016, we started our first medical clinic where we did pregnancy tests and ultrasounds. We have, you know, we have registered nurses and ultrasound techs that are there to help. Um, and, and what we want to do, and why we wanted to do this, was we wanted to be able to show these uh, these young mothers that actually um, that baby inside had life. And so when we do that ultrasound, they at, at, even at at six weeks, we can show them the life that's inside of their womb, and it has a heartbeat and its arms and legs and all those things. So that helps them kind of connect. And uh, bring and understand that they do truly have life, and so and and, and it, it changes minds. It converts these women to want to parent their children. Yeah, one of the th- and I love that about the ministry, Carter, and that's why I think my you. I mean, I'm I'm actually shameless plug. I, we've been supporting your ministry for a long time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, I shouldn't say that, but I, thank I, you. but no, when, thank when, you. I, when I always thank you. yeah when I always ride by your ministry, I always think about. Uh, you know, the signs at McDonald's, you know, b- billions and billions served. Uh, do y'all have a tally for how many women that y'all have counseled to move in the direction of, of, of saving lives, saving their children? Yes, sir. Um, yes, we right right now we've saved 200 and 200 over 200 babies in our ministry. And, you know, we continue to to um, save babies. And we uh, probably about. 1,500 women over the seven years have, you know, come in and in and out of our doors and over 5,000 visits of just yeah. helping them, mentoring them, um, being there for them and, and, and saving babies. So, yeah. I mean, and saving their lives and changing lives. Amen. You know, Carter, listen, generation. Carter, we've got to run to a break, but stick with us if you will. We'll be right back after this break with more with Carter Smith. You're listening to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. After these words from our sponsors, we'll be right back. Don't leave town. Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Can't keep my hands to myself Think I just a more Put them back up on the shelf In case my little baby girl is in need Am I coming out of love field? Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks now I'm the feeling it's a sunny 66 now Maybe all that now But I feel it still Good morning everybody Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee The Reese Boyd Radio Hour Rebels Just for Kicks. Rebels Just for Kicks, that's us. We're talking to Carter Smith. Carter is a candidate for uh, South Carolina Senate District 33. What counties, Carter? Uh, thanks for joining us again, Carter. Thanks for sticking through the break. What counties, Where d- briefly describe for those who may not know, there are people listening, I would imagine, who don't even know if they're in uh, Senate District 33 or not. Can you, can you briefly describe the uh, lay of the district? Yes, the area that we're in is Myrtle Beach, the metropolitan area from um, a, a, around the uh, outlet malls there on 17, all the way down to pretty close to Market Common, and then all the way back up into Conway on the right side of 501 as you go into Ayner. Yeah. Uh, about 
so it's a pretty pretty it's a pretty condensed area but it's mostly all it's all Horry County. Yeah, yeah. And so um you know Reese I, I do want to do a little bit better than I did the first time so about telling you guys who I am and so as Carter Smith you know I feel that that this um this run for me is a call from God and that you know um I feel like he needs us um to start paying attention to our government and and putting some good folks in there that can actually um, make a difference and, and start to do some changes. And, you know, for me, as far as my experience as a candidate, um, this is, this is my first time in politics. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not a politician, but what I am is a leader and a servant, you know, as a veteran of the U S army um, and as a sergeant in the army and as a uh, executive director for hospice, as a registered nurse, um, I, you know, I, I, solve problems and yeah. and they even gave me an area a regional di- director job where i went from virginia to florida and anytime that we had uh complications or problems within one of those branches um they would send me in to help resolve those problems and, and make that a better a better um operation yeah. and so what they used to call me was a smoke jumper so when i saw smoke they would send me in, and I would go in and take care of things and solve the problems and, and set everything back up. And right now, that's what I see in Columbia. Yeah, no, that's that's a that, listen. And I think you did a great job with the intro. I, I had no complaints uh, for the record, but I, I, I thank you for for giving us that a, that additional color and. Some people call that, you know, fixers, uh, Carter. Some people, I've, I've had people say, uh, you know, in, in my in my law practice, I've had uh, clients tell me, they reach you're a fixer. But, yeah, smoke jumper is a great way to look at it. And th- listen, th- as we were talking before you came on the show, there is a lot of smoke coming out of Columbia. And as we all know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a lot of problems up there that need to be fixed. And I want to say one thing, if I can, real briefly. You were talking about those 200 uh children that are have been born as a result of the work of coastline women's center you know i love we love uh we love the work that y'all do we love helping you the the, the little bit that we can um and i always think carter about those i, I just it, it warms my heart it, it just it it almost um brings tears to my eyes when i think about what are those 200 you know what are those 200 babies now in school now you know those babies those elementary kids those high school kids yeah. that are going to grow up what are they going to do what contributions to humanity are they going to make? Uh, what are their children going to do? What are their grandchildren going to do? All of those contributions that the world would never have known before the work of Coastline Women's Center and the, and the work of other organizations uh, also involved in the fight. And I just that's why it's such an important ministry and, and why we just uh, you know love the work so much. Who knows? There may be a Nobel. So, so- there may be a Nobel Prize. There may be a cure for cancer. Who knows what those you know, two, three, four hundred, and the in the thousands of people that will come after them. What they will yeah, all contribute. Yeah. Let me tell you this story, Reese. Um, and, and it's so true what you're saying because what? Uh, let me tell you a story. I, I walked into a cleaner's to drop off my shirts, and there's this young girl behind the counter, and she's got this big smile on her face, and I'm like, she obviously knows me, but I, I didn't know, I didn't recognize who she was. And so as I walk up to the counter, she says, "You don't, you know who I am?" I was like, "I'm sorry, I don't." She's like. Well, in 2013, I was one of the first uh, first women that came into your center, and your wife helped me save my baby. Mm, and wow. so this was in 2013. Now, when I walked in there, it was like, I think this was 2018. So this, this means this baby was, uh, you know, five years old. And so she says, let me, and she was just started gleaming and just so proud. And she said, let me show you my, 
my, my little baby. And so yeah. she opens up her phone and she shows me this five-year-old little girl who was, she was so proud of who had just started kindergarten. Wow. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, and, and what I realized at that moment I, with almost tears in my eyes is that we are making generational difference in this community. Sure. And, you know, this little girl's going to go, like you said, she's going to grow up. She's going to go through high school. She's going to have, she's going to have children. And so the next generation and a generation after that. And so what I saw is that God, you know, he, he plans and he purposes every one of us to be here and we're made in his image. And so he, he has a purpose for us all here. And, and if we cut that purpose short through decisions that we make, then like you said, we could be, we could have had the cure for cancer had we, if it had been one of those 60 million lives that we've taken in the U.S. since 1973. Sure. There's a lot of talent and people that would be here now that even our tax base may look a little bit different <laughs> if yeah. we had 60 million people in our workforce right now. Amen. 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 I think that's a wonder, wonderfully said. Amen to that. Uh, so we've talked, Carter, about the, the right to life issue, which is obviously near and dear to your heart. It's it's oh, yes, what your life has really been about. What else? What are the other issues that you will focus on as a senator if you're elected? I, I think you hit it pretty well on the judicial reform and, and our legislative reform. Also, I think a lot of that could be um, could be uh, remedied as well if we had term limits in place. Um, I, I, you know, you know, we say that our voting um is our term limits, but sometimes, you know, when you start mixing in, um, you know, a lot of, um, hidden money and things like that, that give people power and the ability to do things like right now, um, I need, I need people to come and support my ministry and donate because it it takes money to run a, run a campaign. And so, and and, you know, my opponent's going to have a pretty big war chest of his own to use. And so that just, being able to get the word out and people to know who who I am, it, it just takes it takes it takes fun. So sure, um, and, and and that's the struggle sometimes that happens because people get so rooted and so deeply set into a community that people, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit, and so we, we like to kind of keep things the way they are. <laughs> so, but but there is so that means we need to put some you know some stop gaps in place, and I think term limits would would certainly help with that so we could get new innovative ideas and we could step our our legislature and our whole um, government, you know, up into the 21st century when we don't have these um, candidates who are, are these incumbents who are staying in office for for 30 years. You know, you know, right now the incumbent has been in for 26 years and it's just time for a change. Yeah. And I think we need to look at new innovative ideas and get some people with some, some great um, ideologies in there that can help us um, move into the 21st century, and, and I want to be that candidate. I know I could be that senator that could help us do that, and, and, and we could see not only our community, but um, our state look a whole lot different um, in in just just a four-year term. And so, you know, even with Horry County the way it is, you know, taxation without representation, I think, is, is, is adamant for this area. I think that's one of the reasons our roads are in the condition that they're in. I think it's the reason that our infrastructure is, is not as well as it could be. Um, you know, and, and while we're an industry of 60% of our employment is service. And so I think our economic diversity is so important that we, we focus on that as well and, and, and try to look at how we can 
do things to innovate and make manufacturing a, a, a good part of where we are and who we are yeah. as, as Horry County. Absolutely. Well, Carter, if folks want to get in touch with your campaign, how can they do that? Oh, it's real easy. Just go to votecartersmith.com. You can go to my website there. Um, it's, uh, my, my Facebook page is um, Carter Smith for South Carolina Senate. And each morning now, we've got 51 days till June 9th. And so I've come up with the idea that every morning I'm going to do 60 seconds with Carter Smith. And so I'm going to do put out a, a, a video every morning of 60 seconds with me. And I'm just starting from when I was, you know, from the early years of my formative years all the way through till um, we get to the election day with my issues and my concerns for uh, the community and me um, serving them as their senator. So yeah. 51 days, we're going to do this every morning at 8 a.m. 51 days, a 51 day sprint, Carter, a lot of a lot of ground to cover in 51 days. Yeah. But uh, we appreciate your time. I know you're busy. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm sure folks have found this uh, very interesting. Folks, it's Carter Smith, candidate for South Carolina Senate, District 33. And uh, Carter, give that web address one more time. Uh, VoteCarterSmith.com. Very good. Thank you. Thanks, Carter. Good luck to you. And we'll, uh, we wish you the best. And folks, you're listening to Saturday Morning, Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. After a few uh, shameless commercial breaks, words from our sponsors, we'll be right back with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday morning coffee on Talk Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am your host, Reese Boyd, local attorney here in town with Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law. I want to remind you, uh, as one of our sponsors of this program, Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law, we are still open for business, folks. If you are, if you've been rear-ended by uh, Joe Biden's limo driver, or uh, Michael Bloomberg's limo driver. We would love to hear from you. If you've got uh, personal, family, business, legal needs that we can assist you with, I hope you'll give us a call at 843-839-9800. If Michael Bloomberg's done anything to you, I'd love to hear from you. We may be able to turn it into something. Um, we will, uh, I want to thank, I, th- Glenn, this is one of those mornings where we could really use a third hour. <laughs> yeah, we could. I've been getting a, a sort of a constant throb from my shoulder throughout this program, uh, so I'm not really eager to stay a third hour, but uh, we could use one. We I have had some a couple of great interviews. I want to thank Carter Smith for coming on the program. Very informative. Uh, I want to thank, again, Oren Smith. We have, we've had the Smith, the Smith family on the, uh, on the show today. Two very informative interviews, and want to thank uh, Carter for his courage and uh, willingness to step forward and put your name on the ballot. That is not an easy thing to do, 
and it takes a, a lot of fortitude. Some would say a momentary lapse of judgment also needs to be involved in the process. But nonetheless, we admire Carter for willingness to step forward and 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 take this uh, take this walk. And so we have also had just to remind you folks, we've also in that District 33 Senate race, we've also had John Gallman. John Gallman is also challenging Luke Rankin uh, for that seat. And Senator Rankin, uh, of course, has held that seat for many years. Um, and John Gallman has been on this program, also a great American, uh, by the way, Luke. And by the way, I've invited uh, Senator Rankin uh, to join us on the air, and he's welcome anytime, as are all candidates. Uh, we, we do not discriminate. We take all comers, anybody that wants to come and explain to the voters why you need to be considered as a candidate or why you should be considered. We're happy to hear from you. Uh, one, of, one of the things that Carter was talking about during the interview, he said 51 days to uh, primary. And this is a very unusual primary season, folks. And by the way, before I forget, I want to reach out to we've got some uh, texts that have been coming in. We've had some people who call in that because of those two lengthy interviews, we just did not uh, we weren't able to get to. So we've had some calls uh, that we weren't able to get to. Some of you callers have dropped off. I'm sorry, folks. Um, uh, we just uh, we had to get through those interviews. What can I tell you? But Don B. has also texted in. Don Bound, thanks, Don, for your text. I don't know that we'll have time for a call, Don, but if you want to call it, try again. Uh, we will uh, we'll try to get you on for a few seconds before the end. Steve Howell texted in. Andy Thompson again texting in. want to thank you guys for texting. Also got a text from Tommy with a question about the police power of the state, which I would love to have addressed uh, today on the show. I don't know that, Tommy, we're going to have time. But the question is, are the suspension of constitutional rights within the powers of local government? And one of the things I wanted to talk about today, you know, you've got an interesting dilemma here. Uh, Basically, at the top of the pyramid and the bottom of the pyramid, everybody is getting this wrong. I mean, frankly, including the president. The president seems to think it's sort of like a franchise. And because he's at the top of the pyramid, he gets to call the shots. And in some areas of the law, that is true. There's something called the Supremacy Clause. And to the extent that federal law conflicts with state law, federal law always uh, takes uh, precedent. But And you've also got some local government actors, some mayors. I won't name names at this moment, but you've got some local government actors, some councils, who are acting like they have the police power. The, the, the federal government, always keep this in mind, folks, a very brief uh, foray into legal history which is occasionally relevant. The federal government was created as a voluntary union of 13 sovereign states. The sovereign was the state. The police power of the state resides with the sovereign. So when the president stands up in the Rose Garden and says, I can tell the governors what to do because I'm the governor in areas where federal law has not preempted state law, which includes the, the general police power to... Uh, the the power to regulate whether you can walk outside and check your mailbox or not, that falls within the base general police power of the state. That legal authority resides with the state. Technically, it resides with the governor uh, as the uh, as the actor on behalf of the state. The states got together and they formed through the Constitution the federal government. They delegated certain powers to the federal government. According to the 10th Amendment, the powers that were not explicitly delegated are retained by the state. So, frankly, when the president says he's got the power to order a national shutdown or to order businesses to restart, he's just wrong. And at least from a classical 
conservative legal viewpoint, he's wrong. Now, there may be some harebrained theory that says he's right, and maybe that's the theory that, that, that takes the day, but we're moving in the wrong direction if we do that. If we federalize this question, I think we've made a mistake. You've also got mayors and town councils and city councils and county councils acting like they have the police power. They don't. From a legal perspective, the power, the police power, from a legal perspective, local government is really just an administrative division of state government. The police power resides. The sovereign is the state. Now, we don't always feel that way in the modern era, but that is where it stands. That's where it's supposed to stand. And James, uh, James just texted in with a question about the Interstate Commerce Clause. Yes, the ICC does give power to the feds to regulate various issues where there is federal, red, where there is federal legislation that has properly invoked the Commerce Clause of the Constitution and the power granted to the federal government by the Constitution under the Interstate Commerce Clause. But this ain't one of those. This is not one. There is no federal legislation that does this. And I know there's some, a little bit of arguing on that point. There, are, there is a little, little room for argument, but not much. This is not an area of the law that has, strictly speaking, been federalized. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about before we go, and we're running out of time, is the issue that Carter Smith was mentioning about the, the primary one of the things that we've had discussion about here recently, and, and Charles Perry wrote uh, a great piece about this, fearful of COVID-19, some O'Ree County poll workers are backing out of the primaries. Gene Bozeman is an 85-year-old poll worker who is not going to be helping with the primary this year, even though she always has in the past. It's been very important to her. Bozeman is part of an O'Ree, a group of O'Ree County poll workers who have chosen not to participate in this year's primaries because they are fearful of COVID-19. This article by, Cho, by Charles Perry in the O'Ree Independent or, the, or, or my O'Ree News will post a link to this on the social media site on the, on the Saturday Morning Coffee page, which we encourage you guys to uh, look for. Uh, it talks about all the problems that COVID-19 is causing for the uh, for the the primary coming up on June 9. And according to uh, the article that Perry wrote, it's not just the local county commission, the county election commission, Sandy Davis and the folks there who are concerned. It's the state. The state election commission is preparing to conduct the June primaries on schedule. But they're concerned about uh, whether the primary is proper, whether it should be conducted on June 9 or not in light of all the things going on. Uh, in regard to COVID-19. And my question is simply this. Why haven't we, why don't we just postpone the June 9 primary? The governor has already said through June, for the most part, business is going to be shut down. Why do we need these people to come out and try to vote on June 9 in the midst of a pandemic? And, and it appears, folks, that the, the real resistance here are entrenched powers in the General Assembly that want to, that, that see proceeding on a June 9 timetable as beneficial to the people who are already elected. And it probably is. So I really think to the extent that it's possible, we need to push this issue of trying to postpone uh, this primary because I think we're, we're really, uh, it, it, we'd be all better off to, uh, to, do this, um, to do this later. It can be done later. So I encourage you to write your legislators, write the governor, 
And let's see if we can't get this primary pushed back. I think it's too much too soon. Folks, let me leave you with this bit of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Y'all be blessed. Stay safe. Stay well. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5.